Please, in Mark, Mark chapter 1, we are excited about all that's coming up that uh, Dad was mentioning there uh, in the announcements, and excited about next Sunday, which is Thanksgiving week, hard to believe, isn't it? And then going right into uh, December pretty soon after that, and do pray for all of these things that are coming. Had a good rehearsal tonight with a choir, working through some issues in the Equipment and all that, that's all part of it, isn't it? That's why we have rehearsals. You want to get all those kinks worked out before the, before the program. But uh, many of you have been involved in that kind of thing, and you know what it's like to have the practices, to work through the kinks and all of that. But be in prayer for it. Our heart and goal always is, and we strive for it to be, that we lift up the name of Jesus Christ, that it's a tool that we use during these holiday seasons to be able to give people the truth of the gospel uh, in a time when folks would not normally come to a church service, they wouldn't normally come in, into a church building, they'll come to a Christmas program uh, or something like that. And we want to utilize that. So be in prayer about that with us. And we are excited. Mark chapter one is where we are in our series on following the servant son of God through the gospel of Mark. And as we talked about before in this series, Mark is doing something no one has ever done before. Why he has written an account of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw that Mark's the first one who did that. Mark, the gospel of Mark is, uh, um, according to all the uh, research that has been done, uh, Mark is the first gospel that was written. And, uh, you know, we're so used to these things. What if you, God had called you to be the very first one to put it down on paper, to, to make that account and record those events that took place when Jesus Christ came. So let's continue as we go through this Gospel of Mark, following along with the Lord. Let's read the passage tonight, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we will get into it. We're going to begin tonight with verse 14. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. Now, after that John, this is John the Baptist, after that John was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets, and they followed him. And when he had gone a little farther thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue, and he taught. And, there, and they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. What a testimony from the mouth of a demon. Verse 25. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. 
And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother, that of course is his mother-in-law, lay sick of a fever, and anon, or by and by, they told her of him, told him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. We'll stop there tonight in our reading. Lord, I pray that you'll help us tonight as we go through this passage of Scripture in the, the first chapter of Mark, Lord, I pray that you will show us tonight what you'd have us to see about your only begotten Son, the promised one, the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts, open our eyes, Lord, to see the truth about Christ this evening. Maybe some things that we've not thought about or not thought about in a while. Lord, may it be an encouragement to our hearts this evening uh, to see our Lord, to see our King, to see this servant, uh, Lord, who loves people, who is here for a reason. Lord, most of all, how he loved the Father in heaven. Lord, we pray that you'll just open your word to us tonight. <clears throat> May your spirit lead us and guide us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. In this <coughs> message tonight, we're going to talk about Jesus. We saw in the previous one the uh, play, that Jesus came. He came to various things. He came to his baptism. He came to his anointing. He came to his temptations. And tonight we're going to go into Jesus came into Galilee. He came into Galilee. Mark begins this record of Jesus' ministry in verse 14 at the point where Jesus is leaving Judea. John is imprisoned. John the Baptist, and, and most of us tonight, if not all of us, know that story, know that account of John being put into prison by Herod. And he begins his public ministry in Galilee. He's approximately 30 years old. There's about now between verses 13 and 14. Again, we, we, we mentioned this with Mark. The, the gospel of Mark is just, it's bullet points. Boom, boom, boom. It's fast paced. Mark uses the word immediately, immediately, uh, forthwith. It's constantly saying those things and he gives us a lot of detail, but yet very fast. Between verses 13 and 14, there appears to be, when you put all of the Gospels together, about a year that passes that Mark doesn't give us the account of. Matter of fact, it is uh, uh, known or it's often called the year of obscurity. The only place that we find it is in the Gospel of John. John actually gives us details about the year that is between verse 13, where Jesus has his temptation, and verse 14, when John's put in prison 
and Jesus goes into Galilee. Now, I'll put this map back up here that we had up before. The area in the blue in the bottom is the area of Judea in Israel. The area in the top in the red is the area of Galilee, where Jesus did most of his ministry. Of course, in the blue in the bottom in Judea is where the temple is. It's where Jerusalem is. Um, and then the purple area in between is what? Samaria, the part right in between. Uh, most of the people who traveled back and forth, would the Jews and the Samaritans, they would not go through Samaria. The Jews would travel around it, take the long way around, because the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. Samaritans had nothing to do with the Jews. And Jesus would go back and forth some between these places. During this first year, while John the Baptist is still ministering, Jesus, it appears, is mainly down in Judea, in the area of Judea. Um, his ministry is not so much public yet, it appears, though he begins the first signs. Again, you can read about this in the first part of the Gospel of John. But it is not until about a year later that Jesus then, John's put in prison, Jesus travels back up into that red part in the top of Galilee and begins what officially we know of as his public ministry. Um, and let's talk about that for a minute. The time which Jesus left Judea for Galilee, again, was when John the Baptist was delivered up, put into prison. What was he put into prison for? Remember? Herod had married his sister's wife. Wasn't that the account? And he went to the... Uh, uh, I got that wrong. Not his sister's wife. His brother's wife. Yeah. Nowadays, it could have been his sister's wife. It was his brother's wife. <laughs> right, right. His brother's wife. So anyhow, he's the preacher, and he goes to the king, right, to the political authority, and he put his finger in his face, and he said, this is wrong. It's sinful. And what happened to him? He was put in prison, and we know eventually he got his head chopped off for it. You know, someone said, men may silence the voice of the prophet, but they cannot hinder the word of God from going forth. It's at this time when John is put in prison. John's disciples don't know what to do now. Matter of fact, you know who some of John's disciples were? A man by the name of Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. This was their first introduction to Jesus when Jesus, remember, came to be baptized at the baptism of John. And these men heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. They had heard Jesus say this approximately, I mean, John say this approximately a year before John was put into prison. John had fulfilled his ministry by being the messenger that we saw in the Old Testament, the messenger that came before the Lord, who had continued the work of preaching the nearness of the kingdom of God, calling men to repent, repent, calling the Jews even those Jews down in the southern part of Israel in Judea, even those that were in the temple who thought of themselves as so holy, he had called them not to the temple, to the wilderness, to the Jordan River, to be baptized, to repent of their sin. God is changing it up, isn't he? The old covenant now bringing in the new covenant. John the Baptist is that first messenger. 430 years God had been silent and the silence was broken. When this John the Baptist appeared in the deserts of Judea preaching a baptism for the repentance of sin. And we saw that Jesus came to his baptism. Tonight we'll have a baptism right after this service. What a beautiful picture that is, isn't it? What a, a beautiful picture of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and identification with Jesus. 
And John was having his baptism in that time. And then there came the hour when he was arrested by Herod. His voice was silenced. His public ministry was over, completely ended. And it was at that hour that Jesus moved from Judea to Galilee. Was he running from Herod? No, the area of Galilee was the area that Herod was in control of. That was the area of Herod's providence. It was also the area where Jesus was raised and grew up. But that's where he begins his public ministry. Again, men may silence the voice of the prophet, but they cannot hinder the word of God from going forth. You can kill the preacher, but the word of God is like a fire, and it carries on, and it carries on. It has for over 2,000 years, hasn't it? And it's not about to stop. It doesn't matter what the liberals want to do in D.C. It doesn't matter what anybody wants to stop or shut down. The word of God is going to go forth through this world. Verse 14 and 15 is an introduction to the whole time from Jesus' arrival in Galilee to the time of Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi, which we'll see as we go through the book of Mark, the time frame about the first eight chapters of Mark. During this time, Jesus probably, we don't know absolutely for sure, but it seems like he never went down to Jerusalem. He stayed up in Galilee, in that part of the country, making Capernaum his base of ministry and operations. And if you look at the map, up on the top there of our map, um, that's about where Capernaum is, right there on the top of the Sea of Galilee, uh, in that area, uh, the city of Capernaum. This became basically the base of operations for Christ and his disciples in their really very short ministry in this world. Fulfilled prophecy from Matthew chapter 4, Capernaum is. From Isaiah, let me put this up here on the screen for you. Matthew is quoting Isaiah in Matthew chapter 4 in his gospel. He came and dwelt in Capernaum, Jesus did, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulon and Nephilim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulon and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Our theme last year was light in the darkness. And we used that verse quite a bit last year. Jesus was fulfilling prophecy constantly as he was fulfilling his mission, as he was going through and ministering. And going into Capernaum was a fulfillment of prophecy of the Old Testament. Verses 16 through 35 that we read a minute ago, the rest of this passage uh, gives some incidents of those first days of his public ministry. The country begins now to become fully aware of him. Now they begin to hear about this man. He begins doing amazing things like we read about there a minute ago in this passage. And his fame begins to grow and he's constantly now active. Constantly active, doing something. Verse 15, Jesus begins by saying in verse 15, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is what the gospel is all about. The time is fulfilled. It has come. All of those years, again, it's so easy for us to forget. We, we're so used to this. But thousands and thousands of years... Promise after promise of the coming one, the Messiah. And now 
The time is fulfilled. The preparation is completed. The time for the appearance of the Messiah has come. The last thing that must be done before the gospel, before the good news can be preached, has been done. The kingdom is at hand, Jesus says. The kingdom is brought to men. The kingdom is made nigh. The kingdom is made possible. The kingdom of the Messiah. John Gill says, this kingdom of the Messiah, which lies not in worldly pomp and splendor, in outward observances, in legal rites and ceremonies, but in righteousness, in peace, in joy, in peace and pardon by the blood of Jesus Christ, in justification by His righteousness, and in free and full salvation by Him. What was it we said was the first kingdom that Jesus had to conquer? What was the first citadel that He had come to conquer? Right here. The hearts of men. That's what He came to conquer. Because you, that's the first place you have to conquer. We talked about this in a message, but most of the message, you can't have a, 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 a true righteous kingdom or a true righteous nation like the United States of America, of the people, by the people, for the people, if the people's hearts aren't conquered first. The hearts of people have to be conquered first. And that's what Jesus came to conquer. The kingdom of Satan and darkness will be overthrown. The light has come. It has sprung up. What a time. What a time. What an amazing thing for Mark to be writing about. Repent ye, Jesus says in that verse. Literally, that means think again. Change the way you're thinking. Repent. Think again. Change your mind. Think it over again. The Jews especially had a whole lot to rethink, didn't they? This is, this is tough. When we think about what they had been raised in, go to back to the book of Acts that we went through and, and think about Peter and all that he had to rethink, all that he had to adjust in his mind, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Repent, think again of your own ways and your own methodology and preconceived ideas and believe in the gospel, the good news. They're going to have to put away these ideas about their own ideas about being right with God, keeping the law, what the Messiah was going to actually accomplish and come to terms with what the gospel really was all about. Now, between verses 13 and 14, let's just mention an incident that Luke, I mean, that Mark does not record, that Luke records on the way to Capernaum. As we just saw, Jesus is now heading to Capernaum. He stopped in Nazareth, Luke tells us. Nazareth, the place that people knew him the best. Nazareth, the place that he was raised from a little boy, and he went into that synagogue that's so familiar to him. He takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he begins to read those words from Isaiah chapter 61. Let me put it on the screen up here. I love that account where Jesus walks into that synagogue, and he takes that scroll, and he opens it up right here to Isaiah 61, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings, the gospel, unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
And the Bible tells us in Luke that after he read that, he sat down. And all eyes were fastened on him. And he said, this day, these prophecies are fulfilled right in your own sight, right in your own ears. It's fulfilled. Now, did they appreciate his message? Oh, my. He began to say a few more things about a prophet not being, being without honor in his own country. And they tried to kill him. Tried to kill him. Take him to, the, to a cliff he would have been familiar with there in Nazareth and cast him over the cliff to murder him. Isn't that something? And he mysteriously, miraculously got out of the way of all of that. Got out of the situation and goes on up into Capernaum. But that verse, that passage, this gospel, it really, truly is good news. Aren't you, sometimes, don't you get upset with yourself that we can get so used to this good news? Because that verse is talking about you. And it's talking about me. Do you ever look in the mirror and see a broken-hearted, captive to sin, to Satan, Bound in prison. We, do we ever think of ourselves this way? Now we know we're set free through the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're pretty pitiful folk, aren't we? We're sinful. We struggle. I struggle, and I know if I do, you must too. We don't show that we do when we come to church on Sundays, and, and that's okay. We're encouraging one another, but we struggle, and we've got a sin problem. This world has a sin problem. The only thing that's going to solve it is this one, this man, this God-man who came to do that very thing and set the prisoners free. That's the good news of the gospel. For whom is the gospel good news? Well, it's good news for whoever will believe the gospel. And not just believe the gospel, but believe in it. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, the gospel isn't bad news for that person. It's not bad news to a right-thinking person. The gospel is the news that you can actually be forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. After what you've done. After what I've done. After the thoughts that have gone through this person's mind. After the actions that I have taken and the things that you and I have done, we can actually be forgiven. Forgiven by the holy, righteous God of heaven? He had come to set the prisoners free. To be forgiven to the poor in spirit, to the brokenhearted, to the contrite, to the humbled, to the blind and the bruised captive in the prison of the dark kingdom of Satan and sin. Folks, that's people all around us tonight. The message of true freedom is the message of the gospel. The message of true relief, true release, true deliverance is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other. There's no other way to be set free. There's no group meeting to be a part of that's going to give you that kind of release. There's nothing, there's no pill you can pop that's going to give you that kind of relief. Not even Rolaids, R-O-L-A-I-D-S, spell relief, right? No, it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is there bad news? Yes. It's everywhere. It's all around us. Go home tonight and get a good dose of it by turning on CNN. Go look up Fox News on the web and get a good dose of the bad news. Bad news sells, by the way. 
But it is bad news out there. Walk into Walmart and just take a minute to stop and observe people. People. Are they happy? Are they content? Are they filled with peace and joy and love? Do they have that fruit of the Spirit within them? No. People are miserable, aren't they? They're brokenhearted and they're captives and they're in prison to sin and Satan. That's the problem. It's in their hearts. They are, yes, it's bad news. They're empty and they're aimless and they're wandering and they're roaming all over this planet and they're filled up with guilt. (laughs) Guilt upon guilt upon guilt because of sin. Satan has deceived. And boy, he's good at it, isn't he? Makes it appear that this is what you want. This is life eternal. This is what you need. And then he just, after you do it, after they sin, he just whispers in their ear. He's the accuser. The accuser. He's truly the enemy. And they're filled with guilt and shame. And they're condemned and they're damned and they're doomed and they're lost. And they're convicted. When people acknowledge that they're a sinner, they place their trust in this one, Jesus Christ. They come to the end of themselves. They acknowledge it. And they place their faith in this Jesus that we're talking about. In Him alone for their salvation. The Bible says that they're what? Born again. Born again, set free from this horrid state. And they're made new. God is holy, God is righteous, God is just, but the gospel is, this good news is, only Christ has made an atonement. He has made an atonement, and that is what we need. The only way a sinner can get past those gates of heaven, the only way a sinner can be right in the sight of God is to put on somebody else's righteousness. And that's Jesus Christ and Him alone. The only way a sinner can be set free is to put their faith and trust in this one, Jesus Christ, and Him alone for their sins. And He takes away my dead heart. And He gives me a new heart that loves Him, that wants to obey Him and serve Him. And I now have a purpose for my life. And God is now glorified in me. What an amazing gospel that this is. What amazing good news. And here in Nazareth, where Jesus was the most known, He outright claimed to be the Messiah that they were looking for. He outright claimed to be the one who had come. And they attempted to murder Him, leading Him to the edge of the cliff to throw Him down. And He disappeared and He escaped out of their sight. And then He went on to Capernaum. And we have this account again in verse 16. We'll pick it up there as we see Jesus now comes into Galilee. First of all, number one, Jesus calls His first disciples. Jesus calls His first disciples as we continue to walk with this one who brought this good news and begins His public ministry. Verse 16 says, Now as He walked by the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and Andrew His brother. Now of course Simon we know of as Peter. Jesus renames him later. Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. On his way into into Capernaum, passing by the seashore, 
where the boats of the fishermen were located, and you can picture this in your mind, he calls four men to himself. His first four disciples, Simon or Simon Peter, Andrew, his brother, and then we'll see James and John. Let's just read this again, verse 17. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets, and they followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Again, they most likely, and I believe this as we can see from Scripture, other passages, they knew who he was. It wasn't like this strange man was walking by. You ever thought about that when you read these passages and called out, come follow me. Who's that? No, they knew who he was. Uh, A year previous, they had been introduced to him and they had actually followed him for a little while at that point, for some weeks, maybe, uh, maybe months, probably not very long at all, though. They traveled with Jesus. Um, Andrew and Peter, again, were disciples of John the Baptist. We see that in the book of John. And they heard again, as we said a minute ago, that John had said, Jesus was the Lamb of God. And at that time, they began to go with him, follow him for a little while. They were only with him for a very short time, and it is believed that Samaria, Jesus dismissed them back to their own homes, and he went back to Jerusalem alone. They likely went on following John the Baptist until he was taken as a prisoner. And then what did they do? Well, I can hear Peter saying at that point, I go fishing. He lost John the Baptist, and he's fishing again with his brother in James and John as well. And now, verse 17, Jesus calls out to them, Come follow me. Come after me. Be a disciple of mine. And I will make you to become fishers of men. You'll still be fishers. You're still going to go fishing but in a much higher sense. Isn't it neat how the Lord meets us where we are? You know, when he dealt with farmers, he would give illustrations for farmers and illustrations about taxes and money, depending on where he was and sheep. And and here he's dealing with fishermen and he's dealing with fishing. I'm so glad the Lord meets us where we are. He knows us. He knows us and he loves us and he wants us to follow him. Their net that they would cast now would be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone said the sea where they would gather fish is now the souls of men. And it would first be Judea, the Jews, and then it would go into the uttermost part of the earth, Jew and Gentile. And this is still the mission today for the followers of Jesus Christ. When we're born again, when we become disciples of Jesus, Jesus says to us, come, follow me. Come, follow me. A disciple is someone who, by the way, has been forgiven of all that we just saw a minute ago, who's been set free from all of that sin and is now self-consciously under the authority of Jesus Christ and is intending to live life in the way that he instructs as his disciple, in the way that he instructs us to live. He wants his followers to be fishers of men, to lead their own worldly goals, their own aspirations, to 
Come and follow me, Jesus says. God has something greater than what our aspirations are. Not just to catch mere fish. Not just to live for the weekend. Not just to live for retirement. But to be true disciples of this same Jesus. Jesus calls his first disciples. Number two, Jesus then is in contact with men and in conflict with demons, as we saw a moment ago. Verse 21 picks the story up there of the first Sabbath. It says there again, look at it with me in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. Now, we don't know if the day he got there was the Sabbath day or if They waited a little while till the Sabbath came, but as soon as the Sabbath came, Jesus, as his custom was, went into this synagogue in Capernaum and taught, the Bible says. An account of what Jesus did, we have here in this next bit of passage, an account of what Jesus did in the morning on this one day, what he did in the afternoon on this day, and what he did in the evening on this day. Mark gives us this account. In the morning, he's in the synagogue. In the morning, Jesus enters the synagogue on this Sabbath with his four disciples. And you can picture this. Likely, the service at the synagogue, put a picture there on the screen of maybe what it would have looked like, coming in there and kind of like me having all you sitting out here in front of me tonight. The speaker, the preacher, standing up there in front of those people in the synagogue, as they would have done every single Sabbath. They were having a normal service, I assume doing what they would usually do, having the program of reading of the Torah, chanting the hallelujahs, reading the law, and reading the prophets that were appointed for that day. And finally, Jesus got up and he began to teach. And what did he begin to teach? Well, probably the same thing he's been teaching, that the time had come. The time was fulfilled. What time? What you've been talking about, what you've been seeing in those prophets and in the law, it's been fulfilled, he's telling these people in the synagogue. The time has come. The kingdom is at hand. Believe the good news, the gospel. Teaching, the Bible says there in verse 22, that they're astonished at his doctrine. Why? Why are they astonished at his teaching? Because he taught them as one that had authority himself. And not as the scribes taught. Not as the scribes taught. Someone said, he did not go about to establish what he said by the authority of the rabbis, as the scribes did. And they would say things like this, Hillel says so, or Shammai says thus, or Dr. Such and Such says this. But he spoke from himself. As if he had authority. As if he was one sent from God. That had an authority from him. And was independent of other men. And the Jews are stunned by this. By this teaching. Well, the service is suddenly disrupted. In verse 23, And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out. The service is disrupted by a man who has a devil in him. A demon-possessed man. I noted something here. Isn't it interesting that this man with the devil is where? In the synagogue. In the place of worship. In the place of religion. In the synagogue on the Sabbath day. 
You know, not all possessed people are running wild out in the field, stripping themselves down, cutting themselves. Not all of them are amongst the tombs. We have many of those in the world today, don't we? But many of the enemy's crowd are right in amongst the people of God. Right in the religious places. Maybe it's because of false religion. Or maybe it's to disturb the hearers from the truth. The word being unfruitful and unprofitable. But it's just interesting. Here we are in the synagogue. And a man's full of the devil. And what did it cry out? It's just, every time I read this, it's amazing. Verse 24 again, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Jesus of Nazareth is the one with whom this demon had to do. And he knew it. You know, Jesus of Nazareth is the one that you have to do with as well. And the one whom I have to do with as well. All knees will bow to the same Lord Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow to Jesus one day. You think of the person today, maybe in the media, maybe in Washington, I don't know, wherever. You think of the person today who is least likely to bow the knee to Jesus today. One day, that knee will bow to the same Jesus. The devils knew him. They knew who he was. Art thou come to destroy us? I know who you are. Jesus literally says to this demon, he literally says, be muzzled, be silent, stop your mouth, and come out of him. Now, the Bible says after the Spirit had torn him. What does that mean? If you look it up, it seems to mean that it cast him on the floor. It threw him down on the ground. And you can imagine this picture in a group of people like this and what was going on, a bit of a tumult is happening here. This demon throws this man probably out into the crowd, and it came out in somebody's crying with a loud voice. And all the people, can you imagine standing there looking at that, watching that take place? And the Bible says that they're all amazed. Verse 27, insomuch that they began questioning among themselves, saying, what is this? Can you imagine? What is this? Never seen anything like that before. Can you imagine how many days they went talking about that? What new thing is this? Why this man with authority commands the evil spirits. And they do obey him. They had seen this with their own eyes. They had seen this with their own ears. And so the morning passes by in teaching and Jesus teaching and Jesus healing. And then what happens in verse Jump down to verse 29. By the way, verse 28 says, Immediately his fame begins to spread about throughout all the region round about Galilee. Verse 29, And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So here they are now in the afternoon in Simon's house. Andrew, his brother, apparently lives in the same place with James and John. And when they arrive, they're told about Peter's mother-in-law, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who we find out obviously must be married, Peter. And she is sick with a fever uh, in the bed. By, by the way, Luke in his gospel says it's a great fever. So it's likely she's dying. Uh, and in this time, they don't have anything apparently to do for her, to help her. 
and to uh, heal her of this. Obviously life-threatening and dangerous. Jesus goes to her according to the account. And what does it say? Verse 31. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her. And then she was so wore out and weak like you are after a fever, right? You have to have time for recovery and get up back on your feet. No, what does it say? She ministered unto them. When Jesus heals, he heals. Whether it's spiritual healing, physical healing, through and through. She had all the energy she had as if she'd never had a fever before. This Jesus heals her. Imagine those who had been tending to her. When this woman who'd been worried over who knows how long she's had this fever, suddenly she rises up and begins serving them. No weakness from the fever, and she begins to serve them. And then in verse 32, we've come through the afternoon now. Verse 32, and at evening. What happens in the evening of this same day when the sun did set? They brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils and suffered the devils to speak, not to speak, because they knew him. They knew him. In the evening, he's in the streets outside of this home. His fame had already grown. I put a picture up here. I love this picture. I don't know if you can see it very well from where you are. But the word had spread. They began to gather. By the way, this is after sunset. Why would that have been? Well, there's a reason for that. This is Sabbath day. On the Sabbath, they're not allowed to do any work. They're not allowed to go out anywhere. They had all these rules and standards. But when the sun set, if you study the Jewish tradition, then they could go do whatever. By the way, there had to be at least three stars out in the sky. This was in their rule book that uh, had to be out there for them to actually move out and do something. So at sunset, they left. They began to hear these things. They gathered at this door, bringing the sick, bringing the possessed to be healed. Obviously, a great multitude. And Jesus heals many late into the night. And then he rests. And I've got to wrap this up. But let me show you this last point here tonight. The last point is number three. Jesus calls his first disciples. He's in contact with men and in conflict conflict with demons. Verse 3, Jesus is in communion with God his Father. How does he end this whole thing, this day? He rests for a little while, apparently, but then he gets up before it was even daytime. While it's still quiet, everyone's still asleep. He doesn't wake anyone up. And he gets up and he walks out of that same house and he walks out into the wilderness somewhere. And in the morning, verse 35, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. He prayed to God the Father, his own Father. Take your Bible quickly as we finish this out tonight and go to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. And I think in Isaiah 50, I saw this and someone else pointed this out. Boy, if we study our Bibles, how it all can come together. How God can lead us from old to new and bring things in. And What was Jesus praying? What were his thoughts? What goes through the Son of God's mind? I put a little picture up here on the screen. As he's out there by himself with his father. Isaiah chapter 50, this Old Testament prophet. Look at verse 4, beginning with verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned. Now, let me, be, let me stop and say this. I believe these words are the words of Jesus. Or it's a prophecy about Jesus. It's a prophecy of our Lord. 
The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth, or he wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Now what's he begin thinking about? I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I did not my face from I hid not my face from shame and from spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. What's he praying? He's praying, the Lord's giving him knowledge, he's giving him a voice, giving him an ear. This is the God-man. What's on his mind, what's on his heart, according to this Old Testament prophet, is the cross. It's where he's headed. He set his face like a flint. He knows what's coming. He knows they're going to smite his back and his cheeks have the hair ripped out of them. Why is he doing this for you and for me? This is good, good news. This is the gospel. This is people set free from sin. This is demons cast out. This is little boys and little girls being able to get baptized in water as a symbol of the grace of God. But what a price. What a price that's paid. And here's the Son of God. And in an Old Testament prophecy, we see what's on His heart. What's on His mind. How the Lord God, the Father, is with him. But he knows what he's facing. He knows where he's headed. Jesus Christ. We'll see in the next message, Peter and all of them wake up, and he's not there, and they go find him. And they carry on to the next city, taking this good news. Are we thankful tonight for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace to us. God, thank you for salvation of sins. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, our Savior, our King, our Messiah. Thank you, Lord, that He was the servant, the servant Son of God, who humbled Himself, came to this world. And Lord, we know as terrible as the physical suffering of the cross is going to be for Him, we know, Lord, He tells us the dread was being separated from you, taking the wrath of Almighty God, Holy God upon Himself. Although we can't even fathom what that means. But Lord, tonight in our hearts, we lift it up in gratitude to You for paying that price for our wicked sins, for setting us free. Lord, I don't know who's here tonight. You do. I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that does not know this Savior, that has not in their own heart today today or before today bowed their knee to Jesus, said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Thank you for the price you paid for my sin. Thank you for this gospel. May it be mine. I pray that, Lord, tonight they will do that. They'll reach out to Jesus Christ and call upon Him, the only one who can conquer this wicked heart of ours, who can set us free, the only blood sacrifice that can cleanse us, make us free. 